Hello and welcome to Trees Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we're talking about Nomadland, a film that's got an awful lot of praise. It's just won the Golden Globe for Best Drama and Best Director for Chloe Zhao, the director. It's based on a book, a kind of memoir, I think, of travelling around the United States in a van or an RV with no set destination, no fixed abode, all that kind of thing. And the film is, I think, a loose adaptation of the book. I think it features a lot of the same real-life nomads. Mm. Um, and Chloe Zhao has used non-professional actors before. The last film we saw first was The Rider. Uh, and in The Rider, it was cowboys. Mm. And they were playing themselves. And there was that great thing about breaking the horse, changing his behaviour, and that's all kind of done. You can see the guy knows what he's doing. It's kind mm. of an amazing thing to watch, I remember, from that film. Yes. Here, Frances McDormand is not a real-life nomad. She's a professional actress, and she is... Fern, whose town, Empire Nevada, was a real town. Mm. It was a company town, and the gypsum mine that had been there for some 88 years goes out of business, Mm. closes, and basically the town empties. She's also just lost her husband, and she's middle-aged, kind of a bit lost, basically. Mm. And she puts all her belongings in a van and starts travelling. Along the way, she meets other travellers. Uh, this is where you meet Linda, Swanky, Bob. These are all real people. And Bob is Bob Wells, who's a vlogger. And he hosts this thing called the Rubber Tramp Rendezvous, which is a meet-up of travellers, people mm. who come there in the van stuff. Obviously, they haven't been doing that under COVID. They've been doing it online. But it's some 10,000 people, I think, who mm. do it. So this is kind of a big, disparate community in the US mm. of people who travel from place to place, get seasonal work that you see... Uh, Fern working for Amazon at one point, she's working for a tourist attraction, she's working in kitchens, mm. just making money where she can along the way. And the film is, I would say, kind of episodic. Well, it's like a road movie, I suppose. So, yes, I mean, she's on the road and then there are kind of, you know, various incidents that happen. One of the ways that this film is very unique is that all of the experiences are positive. Yeah, there's no threat of violence or danger or... Hmm. Yeah, so, um, I mean, there are sad episodes. Yeah, so, you know, there's a, an elderly woman who has been diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and who goes off to Alaska to die. But uh, even those uh, examples of sad incidents evoke a kind of a warmth and a kindness. And, mm. yeah, it's, it's a film of sadness and loss... Yeah, um, you know, she is almost like a kind of in mourning for her husband throughout the film. Mm. Yeah, and wary. Yeah, so it's a film that's imbued with sadness, but that focuses on people's kindness. Yes, and positivity. And it's interesting that you say there's no hint of threat because that occurred to me as well, especially when at one point it's swanky, I think, and she's the character who uh, is diagnosed with cancer. When Fern doesn't have a spare tyre and needs one, Swanky yeah, admonishes her and mm. says, "You can die out here, right? If you're not prepared, you need to have a spare tire. You need to be prepared for this stuff." Uh, and even though, you know, she said this quite forcefully, it's not a problem that comes up again, right? Like, there's no, yes. it, you know, in another film, it would be the thing that comes back later. Oh, she wasn't prepared. Yes. Um, and it also occurred to me when David Strathairn mm. shows up, who is, I think, the only other nomad who's a professional actor. Uh-huh. I think I get the impression. Yes. Um, 
and he plays someone called Dave, and he's this really gentle, non-threatening presence, mm. you know, and he could be someone. It, it, the, the film kind of slightly develops a plot around them, um, which is, I think it threatens to delve into cliche around them, actually, and I wasn't a huge fan of it, but... You know, he shows up and you know because he... Oh, I liked him. Because you know he's a professional actor, you know he's coming back and you know they're gonna, it's going to last, I think, the story. And I wasn't sure because the film is so um, free-roaming, I suppose. Um, I, I didn't want that structure on it, actually. I felt it would be better without that feeling of structure. Yeah, but it, it doesn't. it's not there. I mean, you know, kind of all that you expect to evolve from all of that, it doesn't happen. Well, it does. I mean, well, I think it did because you meet him, they separate, but then they meet later on and you find he's reunited with his family and he's going to stay there. And that's a resolution. It's not a strong, like, every, it's well, not in every scene. That's but great. that's not what I would have expected no. in meeting them. No. What I would have expected is for them, you know, to kind of end up together, right? Mm. Or to join forces and either in their van or when he invites her to stay, you know, with their son that they have a cabin at the back. And and she doesn't. So mm. you know. So it's not what I expect. It's not. It's it's not what one would have expected out of the presence of, you know, David Stratton. So and I like that actually. You know, the film is about her, and I think it's it's kind of almost. Um, I was going to say it's it's almost like an original archetype that she's playing. Yeah, like I've not quite seen a character like that. I mean, you could argue that McDormand herself plays characters with similar traits, like in Fargo, we are very independent, mm. it's like the eccentric women, you know, but this kind of fierce aloneness and kindness and self-sufficiency, you know, and, all, and it's almost kind of done, you know, you get, to, well, you're told at the end of the film that it's, she loved her husband so much, she, she can't shake his memory, she doesn't want to. Right, and you know, to do to go away or to take off that ring, yeah, mm. or to get involved with another man would be to say that he hadn't existed, it would be to dishonor his memory. Yeah, he was somebody who has no parents, who has no children. Yeah, she's what's mm. keeping him alive. Yeah, and I, I thought that was so romantic and beautiful. It's funny the words he used to describe her character here because what did you say? Self sufficiency and fierceness. Because I was thinking about her character in. Three billboards, which, mm. and those are words I'd associate with that character. And I think in the loss that the characters have experienced, and then the uh, isolation that they subsequently experience, mm. those things are the same. But but the difference is the kindness yes. that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. You know, the character in Three Billboards is aggressive and fights and will not stay quiet. And, mm. you know, and this this is about dealing with grief and dealing with loss. And it is funny because. What's really interesting to me about the film is the reasons that people end up as nomads. Mm. You know, so they're kind of sat around a campfire. Actually, that's very like the rider. There was a bit in the rider uh, where they're all sat around the campfire, and it's these kind of macho cowboy guys, but they're talking about their their feelings and things. Mm. Um, and there's this thing here where they're all sat around the campfire at, at Bob's uh, meetup, and they're describing the people that they've lost. Mm. Um, in fact, it, it it makes so much sense that so many of the characters are middle-aged and older because hmm. that is an age where you start to lose people right? yes. and it can drive you out into the wilderness and but there's no sense of adventure to it really it's a sense of self-sufficiency and self-survival and trying to get a grip on your own life by i don't know chucking away half of it hmm. you know and kind of going going rogue or something um 
But I think it's really interesting. You meet two younger people who are probably around my age, right? Mm. One of them's at that meetup at the start, and she's this black girl, and she's lost both her parents, I think, to cancer within like three weeks or three mm. months of each other, she says. Um, and they had been planning to tour the country. Mm. It occurred to me there might be a, a, an element of subtext there to her race because it would be so much easier, or, they, or maybe there would be so much more motivation or reason for a person of colour to give up their life, their place in society for a nomad life at that age, mm. I kind of thought. And then you meet this other guy who's a young white guy. And it's and I can't I don't know why I can't get a grip on why he's out there because uh Frances McDonald's character speaks to him and she says, you know, have you got friends, have you got family, you've got it this and the other and he doesn't quite say no to that. And there's no, this thing he, about No, in fact he says my family's in Wisconsin or That's right, he yeah. does. So And there's this thing about the girl that he likes and he keeps writing letters to. Yes. So and it's not like, it's not like I didn't believe in his character or he or him himself. It may be his real story, you know. Um, but uh, but that he's the one where I really questioned. Well, I don't understand why he's out there. What drove him out there? And I would have liked more, I guess, from well, just be- to- because he doesn't belong and he's lost. I mean, I didn't have any problems with that. I mean, you know, I think this. I think if 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 I would find one criticism about this film, you know, because you understand why people go on the road, right? Mm. Like, you know, it's because they don't belong because they want to find something else. Yeah, because the world that they live in doesn't fit their image of the world the way the world should be, so they go to seek something else, really. Uh, and there's a whole thing about freedom in this film. The road is freedom, right? Kind of, you know, you have that beautiful poetic image of, you know, those nests under the rock with the birds flying free mm. into the sky, right? So, I mean, there is, you know, there's a lot of that. And, the, you know, there's also, like, those phrases where nomads today are like the pioneers of yesterday which is mm. not quite analogous i don't think yeah so so why why people are on the road is because they all have a story and it's always a sad story but what i think what the film is missing is precisely the dangers in that story so you know i remember wendy and lucy yeah with michelle williams i don't know oh it's such a it's it's a really beautiful film uh, it's by Kelly Reichardt, and it's Michelle Williams, who goes to get a seasonal job in Alaska, right? And her car breaks down. And while she's waiting to get her car fixed, she steals some dog food from a supermarket, yeah, because mm-hmm. she's got a dog. She gets caught. She gets fined, right? And then, you know, what happens is the, the between the cost of fixing her van and the cost of paying her fine... Yeah, she's rendered homeless, right? Mm. You know, because she was living out of her car. Yeah, so it's like, it's a story of precarity, of how one little thing going wrong could really, mm. yeah, put you in terrible danger. Yeah, and she is uh, in that film. So, you know, you, you get none of that in this film, yeah? Like, and yet, it must be the same. What, what happens if the Amazon job that you count on every year doesn't come through, mm-hmm. right? Or, you know, what happens if you get to a new town and you can't get a job, yeah? Or, yeah? yeah like, no, I, I had the same sort of questions, um, especially at the start where Frances McDormand's looking for work and she's told by the job seeker person, I don't see what you qualify for. Yeah. And you're like, okay, but she's getting work then, wherever she goes. Yeah. She's finding a job. That's right. And it's through friends and through this and through that, but she manages... But there's always this thing overhanging. What if you don't manage? What if you don't have a sister? 
who can lend you $2,300 to fix your van. Mm. You know, what happens to you next? I mean, you have no home, you're homeless, right? Yeah. Uh, so, because they make a big point of saying here, you know, we're not homeless, yeah? This is not homelessness. This is, you know, I have a place to live, right? It's just not a house, mm. is what they say, right? But, you know, I think, I think there's a whole other issue because, you know, it's not like a mobile home, in fact, I thought it was interesting because a mobile home here is taken as the height of luxury, right? Like, you know, they go into a, how do you call it, a showroom, yeah, and they they see all those uh, mobile homes, yeah, those fancy buses. And oh, the huge RVs in America. The are huge RVs. Crazy, yeah. Yeah, you know, they see it as the height of luxury, right? Whereas, you know, kind of. For most people, it's still a kind of trailer, <laughs> you know. Like, mm. yeah, it's it's a thing. It's one thing to have an RV, you know, and travel around America. It's another thing for that to be your home. So there is like a kind of a hierarchy of you know uh, homes that here, uh, and living in a van has to be as pretty close to homeless as you can get. Well, yeah, I mean, no one in this film has a luxury RV that's yeah. the size of a bus. You know, exactly. the, the, you get you get some people in vans, which Francis McDormand is, and some people in smaller RVs, motorhomes, we would call them, I guess, in this country. In tiny, tiny ones. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Not glamorous. Yeah. But they're the kind of thing that if you were a middle-class family, you would have for, you know, a weekend. Yeah, exactly. But now you're living in it. Exactly, yeah. right. So I think what comes across so beautifully to me because I, I do think this is a great film, actually. Mm-hmm. I think it's full of moments of poetry, yeah, that kind of reveal feeling and, you know, kind of linger with you. You know, the, the you know all those shots of the baby with the baby's hand on hers, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, you know, kind of what it evokes. And there's also this whole theme in the film of time past, of family and places and... Yeah, kind of things that have been lost and that will kind of remain a memory, but you know, remain a memory already encoded in deteriorating media. Yeah, slides. Yeah, mm. uh, and old photographs that have a different kind of Kodak color tinge, <laughs> or you know. But at the same time, there's this thing about stones in the film yes. that starts off, I think, because of of the history of. Um, Empire, the town, mm, as mm. this gypsum mining town. Um, so it kind of started like basically Francis McDormand's character's life has been spent mining stone. Well, I think gypsum's close to stone, I don't think it's quite. But the analogy I think is there because there's this thing about precious stones that people find, or, or if not precious, then you know, the beautiful little, little things that they polish up. Jadeite and um, Jasper, and, Jasper and things like that. Um, and there's this thing about when Fern first meets the, the young fella. She gives him this lighter, and then later on, when they meet again, he gives it her back or a different mm. one. But it's got this stone mm. embedded in it, and and it's not actually it's not a stone. She says, "What stone is that?" And he says, "It's a dinosaur bone." Yeah, this thing about dinosaur. So, and and throughout this, you get this feeling of permanence. Yes, um, things will last. There's that great bit where they're at the Badlands. There's this um, rock formation that's like a kind of miniature Grand Canyon that you can walk mm. through. It looks like that, right? And then when she stood on top of it, first of all, she's just exploring it. And then when she stood on top, looking over it, and so Dave, further back in frame, you get this feeling that they're like gods mm. of this world mm. that's beneath them. Like it looks like a little world that mm. they that they they just temporarily rule over. There's a comp- there's an interesting play between between th- how long things last, permanence and impermanence. You know, people 
go out there and their lives are impermanent. That you know where they live is impermanent. They keep on moving, but something is going to last out of all of it. And this is the thing that Bob says. You know, we'll, we'll see each other down the road. You never don't see someone again. Hmm. You'll always meet them again. Well, what I thought was uh, you know very symbolic and beautiful was you know so they go through those rock formations, right? But they say that the rocks are porous. You know, kind of you know they hmm. had gas or water. Right, and um, that's why you get those round shapes and so on. Uh, but also, the rock wastes away and turns to sand. Yeah. Mm. So you know, and then there's the scene later on where she's looking. Yeah, he leaves a round boulder, but that's full of holes on her porch, uh, on her the steps of her van, and uh, she looks at the landscape. You know, through yeah mm. those bits of rock. Yeah, that have withered away. It's really very beautiful. Um, Despite that, I have to say I was bored a lot during the film. Well, really, I wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's funny how... I'm riveted throughout. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's funny how in looking back on it, it kind of grows in stature because all of these things are in there and they're considered and they're beautiful. But at the time, it takes a long time. The thing about the landscape is, you know, it's always at dusk or at dawn or in the middle of a storm. Yeah, the sky is ever lively and changing and kind mm. of wistful through fog. Or, yeah, it's never just clear or majestic. <laughs> you know, you see this beauty, but through bits of light, yeah. It's that Terence Malick thing of just magic hour. Magic hour, everybody. Well, it's very, very beautiful, I think. And also very poetic, I mean. And also, I think, you know, that the film focuses on a middle-aged woman who is probably, what, 60 or 55. You know, there's this wonderful shot of Frances McDormand nude in this amazing kind of pond waterfall, you know, with the sky all around her. Because that's the other thing about the film. The film is always framing character in landscape, mm. right? And I think in doing so, it becomes a commentary on America itself. Yeah, you know, America is beautiful and its people are kind, yeah? But yet look what's happening. Yeah, it's all these people who are mm. on the edges outside, yeah? And it's kind of, it's partly from a choice, but it's almost from a choice made within very limited options, yeah? Yeah, well, the the reason that the older people are out there, I think, is 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 really personal. The reason that the younger people are out there it seems to be partially economic. Mm. I think, and but the older people is economic as well. Yes, it is. I mean, she was saying, you know, why don't you get early retirement? Well, I can't live on that. No, sure, there's yeah. that too. But uh. but is it? It is interesting. How I bet the book is more full of that. I mean, uh, that's totally speculation. But the film does not foreground that. It's not the focus. It's not what it wants no. your experience to be. In the film, all of those things are on the edges, but the film is nonetheless pervaded with a huge mm. and acutely felt sense of loss by all the characters. And, you know, that feeling of loss paired with the landscape, I think is also something about loss in America. Yeah. Yeah, not just individual mm. loss. But that bit where she um, goes to see her sister and then they're having that conversation in the back garden about that they're all flipping houses and she says, you know, I, I disagree with all of you. How can you get people... How can you... Your job 
is to get people into debt to buy a house they can't afford. I thought that was the worst scene in the film because that's too on the nose. Um, I, 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 I liked it. Uh, and the reason why I liked it is because, again, it foregrounds a question of economic inequality that the film, for almost all of it, puts at bay. Mm. It's always in the background, right? Like, I mean, you know, you were saying earlier, it's not about that. Whereas I feel it is about that. It's just not in your face about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I like that that one moment. But that's why I think that's too on the lows then, because it is there the rest of the time. And it's there for you to think about. And, and you're an intelligent viewer, and you'll pick up and you'll be thinking about it. I think, it's I, just, think yeah. I think it's a way of signaling that that's one of the things that the film is about. And then it drops it, right? So sure, I thought. Yeah. I thought. So in that sense, you know, it's much. It, it's it's not at all a message film, yeah. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, So so I liked all of that very very much. Um, One thing that I love about Frances McDormand's performance is the way she interacts with the non-professional actors. You can see oh, her helping them. Yes. You can you can feel it because actually, so after just reading the interview. Uh, before we started the podcast with Bob, mm. who's, as I say, the um, the guy who runs the, the sort of convention. And he's given this scene at the end of the film with Francis McDormand. And he talks about the loss of his son, and that's what kind of drove him out there five years uh, previously. And it's funny, I was watching that scene, and I was thinking, I'm not getting a lot from this guy. Like, I, I believe his story. And in this interview, he says that is his story, and he hadn't really told anybody before. So the film is a mm. really kind of... Uh, emotional moment for him and he said that the first time he told the story on camera he just broke down mm. and then after that he couldn't get back it's like it had expunged it and he couldn't get back to it and so after that it was a little bit more flat when he said it and that's when I was thinking when I watched it like oh, I'm not quite feeling it and, and Francis McDormand is clearly there reacting to him and helping him and so on and so forth mm. and, I, and I believed every word that he said and it was very emotional but I didn't feel it in his performance and I thought you know well that's fair enough he's not a professional actor. And I do wonder what the overly emotional take mm. would have looked like, right. right? But then just hearing that this is very overly emotional take, I think you implicitly understand why that's not in the film. Yeah. It's not full of those moments. No, the film is very spare and, uh, and pared down and stoic, right? I mean, I think one of the things that I absolutely love about the film, contrary to all this weepy you know, culture of the moment, yeah. yeah. Like, it's like, I'm stressed and I'm too sensitive to hear that and, you know, and I have post-traumatic stress syndrome because, you know, I hid my toe on the bed. <laughs> really <laughs> hate all that. Uh, you know, kind of, these people are stoic, you know, and by being mm -hmm. stoic, they're heroic, right? Like, this is the life that, you know, they, that's the hand they've been dealt with, right? And they have a lot of sadness in their life, yeah, and mm. kind of they're making do, and they're making do in difficult circumstances, and, you know, they're having to learn how to do everything involved with a car repair, <laughs> you know, at the age of 55, right, and how to paint your own car, because you'll need to do it, and you won't be able to afford to have someone do it for you, right? Like, mm. I mean, there is something very gallant about it, right, the acceptance that, you know, this is, this mm. is how you make do. Right. And Which, the way that the community is structured is interesting, I think, to me, because I suppose I, I would closely relate... Well, I would, I would relate the idea of a nomadic existence to kind of travellers in Romania. That's mm -hmm. kind of... That's, that's, I suppose, the version of that that we see in the UK and in Europe. Except it's very um, different, because here, 
it's people who are alone. Exactly, that's what I was going to say. Like the sense of community is completely different. Mm. You know, you travel in groups here with your family and friends, mm. and here, like I say, it's this interesting thing of you do meet other people and you get to know them, but then you don't see them for a long time, but you'll catch up again. And it's and it's fascinating to think of just the scale of America and how far these people travel. Like how you know what what is it? Some someone goes to Alaska at one point, but the rest of them are sticking around the same sort of areas mm. you kind of make it up as you go along but you will bump into the same people because mm. I don't know they, you all have the same vague idea of the few towns you're travelling around mm. I don't know it's interesting to sort of see how how, how that community because it is a community is structured mm. and then they meet up every year at this at this rubber <laughs> rubber tyre rodeo or whatever it's called mm. I think uh I mean, I you see, the thing about it being episodic is that, you know, they go to a different place each time, partly revolving around work and partly it's seasonal labor, right? So they end up at Amazon at a particular time of the year because it's Christmas and they need more help. Mm. Yeah, that's kind of why they end up there. So, you know, the, 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 the cycle of the year, yeah, has um, a schedule uh, and a place. And actually, in a way, you could argue that they're just as much slave to that as other migrant workers. Yeah. Well, they like, need to make their money. They need to make their money, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, they can't live without work, right? And they're working for very little. And this is where I think, you know, well, I could be wrong because it would change the film and I actually don't want the film changed, mm. you know. But, uh, yeah, to have had more of a sense of the precarity of it, yeah, that there's a danger just in the precarity of it. Which actually doesn't come across, I think. No, sure, I agree. We've, um, we've more yeah. or less, more or less said that. Um, but that's yeah, it's not the kind of film that it is, and it's not the story that it wants to tell, and it has an awful lot of sympathy for the people, and it doesn't want to, I guess, use their life experiences as. I know. I think maybe it feels like the film would feel it was cheap to do that, mm. to use that as entertainment and that way or something. I don't know, but it, it's 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 more. It's like it's friendlier to them. It doesn't want to put them through hard situations because their lives are already hard enough they're dealing with all this loss yes <laughs> but, I, but but you know you also and I think this is what I love about this film as well that you know their lives are hard but you do see a lot of I mean I wouldn't say joy in Francis McDormand's case but a kind of a cheerfulness or a, a cheeriness or an enjoyment of little things yeah her cigarette you know the hot dog at the fair. Mm. Yeah, the 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 joy she takes in watching that landscape. You know, yeah. So it mm. is kind of um, the the joy in people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in engaging with people. I kind of I thought all of that was really beautiful and kind of, you know, I think very um, unusual to see. I mean, it is a film that is driven by by kindliness and a sense of the good in people. And also of a community of people in spite of, you know, ideologies of individualism. Yeah. Mm. You know, there's still the sense of helping people out. Why? Just because it's a nice thing to do. Right. Mm. The cutting of the old lady's hair. Yeah. It's full of moments of, of tender giving. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how the um, imagery right at the start when she's working at Amazon, um, the fulfillment center, as they euphemistically called them um, reminded me of American Factory that yes, documentary very much so we saw, and you kind of thought 
oh, all of the people in American Factory, when that was all going tits up and they had to, you know, the factory closed down, then the Chinese came in, all this. You go, if that just goes tits up in a different way and the whole town disappears, everyone in that film ends up on the road, like these guys. Yeah. Uh, possibly. I mean, who knows? I mean, there's, there's a feeling of like, because it's this thing about this town disappeared off the yes. map when the company went. Yes. There, for the grace of God, you know. Yeah. Also, it makes one think of, you know, I mean, certainly myself. You know, when I remember reading novels about, you know, people living in company towns, right? And um, how exploitative they were. And, you know, you had to shop at the company shop and live mm-hmm. in the company house. I mean, I think here you don't have to shop at the company shop. But, you know, they're obviously living in, yeah. you know, kind of the land of the factory, the houses. Yeah, they said, you know, tract land. Yeah, tract houses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so... You know, you do also read of those places as exploitative 19th century practices, mm-hmm. right? And so here they are again, and not only are they here again, but you're mourning their loss, <laughs> as if it was, you know, a good thing. And of course, it's only a good thing compared to now. Um, so I think the film is very much kind of also a critique, but one that doesn't blame people, you know, so... Uh, I really loved it. Mm. I didn't love it, but you know, it's interesting afterwards to. I mean, I was bored. <laughs> <laughs> you Philistine. It's a slow. It's a slow. But it, it is interesting how it, how it did. I did end up in sympathy with it after the point because when it got to the point where I realised, oh, David's coming back and we're going to see the family and blah, 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 that's when I was thinking, oh, this has too much plot. And I wanted it to be less plotful at that point and more nomadic. Uh, well, yeah. I'll return to that. Um, I want to mention a couple of things. So, first, how beautiful the music is, and also how expressively deployed it is. So, just as I was saying that, you know, you have a lot of these images of her past that are seen through audiovisual technologies of the past, yeah, mm-hmm. old yellowing slides and things like that. You also have the use of music done in that way. So, you know, you hear Bing Crosby, you know, kind of singing one of his holiday songs. I forget which one it was. But you almost hear it as a tinny, like, radio mm. you know, version of it, you know, which evokes pastness. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of just, it doesn't just evoke holiday, it evokes the pastness, sort of the perennialness of Crosby in that song at that time of the year. Uh, and, and that's used pretty systematically. I mean, different devices for mm-hmm. different effects. But I thought it was very beautiful. And aside from that use of music, it has a very beautiful score. By Ludovico Einaudi. It's gorgeous. Um, And the other thing I wanted to mention, which I haven't quite... I I mean, I don't know. (laughs) But, you know, kind of... I really creeped out over images of crocodiles and snakes. And, you know, the film makes quite a lot of that. Though I'm not sure what it says about it. So it feels like systematic usage, you know, kind of dinosaurs, birds, bats, mm. um, you know, ants, uh, but I'm not sure what it says. <laughs> yeah, well, they talk about connecting with the natural world, um, and that's, to me, that uh, that's slightly banal, you know, that's a kind of, um, that's like a, that seems to be like a nomad platitude. No, I, I don't agree with that. I mean, I think that's the difference between a, a European, you know, and a North American view of that landscape, because... Of course, an Englishman has never really known the wild at all. Everywhere you go in England, it's, it's either a city or suburbia, right? 
But I remember going camping, you know, with my then boyfriend and feeling that you were the first person who'd ever stepped on this piece of land, you know, in northern Ontario. Look, I'm not saying it's not brilliant landscape, but I think the thing of reconnecting with the natural world, that is a bit of a banal thing to say. The way it's said here as well, it's, it's, not, it's kind of not really backed up. You know, actually, it's evoked much better than it's expressed. It's, it's evoked through those amazing shots of, of the wilderness. And, and even through the thing about the, the one thing that Frances McDormand's character misses about yes, her yes. home is that it backs onto this. Yeah, so I, I think it's a yeah. systematic trope. And I think, like you said, it evokes it. So yeah. You feel it. But I think just when people, when people say that phrase, connecting with nature or reconnecting with nature, I go, nah. Well, that's probably because whenever you hear it, it's like, you know, from a bath girl who's missing her, you know, her summer festival in some field. (laughs) She's reconnecting to the wild. I think it's it's a thing that stupid people say. Yes, but but I'm, I'm just saying that it has different connotations, you know, because you don't have landscape like that or areas like that or wilderness like that. You know, uh, and the only thing that I would say is in slight agreement Mm. is that what you don't get from this film is the terror in that landscape. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that actually that landscape is not just beautiful, but it's often very terrifying. I mean, I remember once again, you know, kind of with this boyfriend, you know, traveling from I think it was I forget what it was, New Brunswick or Nova Scotia. You know, uh, to northern Quebec, and we decided that we didn't want to have coffee and donuts at this particular stop, and then we drove for five or six hours mm. with no, you know, no gas station in sight. You know, worried that we'd run out of gas and be yeah. in the middle of nowhere. Like, you know, and then it was just mile upon mile upon mile of pine trees, of of, of fir trees, all looking identical, right? Like, yeah. you know. And that there's something very terrorizing about that. Yeah, it's very. It, it really inspires. Well, it inspired fear in me. Let's say, might not in everybody, but you know, this landscape is only ever beautiful. Where really it should be terrorizing as well. Yeah, I was just reading about Empire Nevada actually, the the, the, the real place, and it said, um, where is it? So it's nearby where Burning Man is held, um, and that accounts for loads of its, yeah, um, mm. tourism and stuff. Because it still technically exists. There's people there, but it's not what it was. Um, and it says, uh, oh yeah, after the closure of the plant in 2011, the grocery store remained the only source of provisions within 100 miles of the Black Rock Desert. Like, America is just fucking empty yes. in the middle. Well, you know? I mean, you know, I think that can be quite scary. And also, something alien to my nature is how very much it is a car culture, yeah? Mm. I mean, you know, obviously we are a car culture here in the UK as well and, you know, in Spain as well. But, you know, you can take a bus or you can take a train, right? Mm. In this landscape that we see in Nomadland, you either have a car or there's nothing. I mean, we see a bus, but the bus is to go from one town to another, Yeah, right? yeah, no, it's not the same. It's not the same. So, you know, this is entirely, I mean, without a car, you're a non-person yeah. and might as well die in this, in this thing. America's just not structured for anything else. It's, it, there's no economic advantage in, in trains or anything like that because nowhere's close enough. I mean, you think like that would be the way to get from place to place yeah. over a long distance, 
But there's no economic advantage to it, and because there's no economic reason, America doesn't do it because well, it's really based on that. I'm not convinced of that. I mean, I think you know, uh, you know, famously in California, there was a fantastic tramway system and bus system. Yeah, in California. Yeah, but it was dislodged in the service of the car, right? So um, I mean, a lot of that was driven by automobile lobbies and sure, gas yeah. lobbies and so on. You know, it's not inherently that there's no economic. Uh, advantage to it. There could be an economic advantage. I think that's partially true, but yeah. but going from one city to another, you know, they're, they're so far away. Yeah, well, that's why you take planes there. I know. I mean, you know, <laughs> I have taken like, uh, well, I, I used to go to Ottawa on a bus from Montreal, and then I used to take the train from Montreal to Toronto. The train was six hours. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the the next big city. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's, so, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's like going from here. Well, it's further than going from here to Edinburgh. So, um, anyway, I really love this film, and um, I, I, I think, you know, it will, it will become uh, an American classic, really. I think it's, 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 a, it's a new voice, and it's a beautiful voice, and it's wonderful to see a film about a middle-aged woman on the road, yeah, being done so, so, so tenderly. And, and kind of fiercely, yeah? Hmm. Oh, yeah, I'll go with that, yeah, I mean, yeah. All right, well, uh, <laughs> thank you. We highly recommend it. Thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, at eavesdropmovies, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. <laughs>